0: What's up, everyone? It's Michael Scotto, HoopsHype.com's NBA writer and the host of the Hoops Hype podcast. Today's edition of the pod is a bing bong production since the Knicks are back and they're lighting it up like Times Square on New Year's Eve at MSG since the Josh Hart trade. My next guest, Ian Begley, and I are going to break down that acquisition and what's next for Hart this summer. We'll take a look at Emmanuel Quickly's rise in the sixth man of the year race. Tom Thibodeau, RJ Barrett, and much more on today's latest edition of the Hoops High Podcast. Ian, what's going on, my man? How are you, brother? Mister Scatto, how are you, my friend? I'm good, my man. Uh, it was a pleasure to join you on the putback on Sny. Appreciate you returning the favor, joining me here on the pod. Talk about the Knicks. Um, you know they've they've been on a roll out here, looking like uh, Tina Turner. So. I give. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's uh, it's been an amazing stretch since they got Josh Hart, and I I think I've said this to you privately, but I'm, we might as well share it for the public because I think this one's a gem. But if Tom Thibodeau was on Hinge or Bumble and he yes. was filling out his love language section, he'd put Josh Hart a hundred
1: and ten percent to me. There's no doubt. There's no doubt. Um, <laughs> there's no doubt. And but Tibbs, I mean. If there's a singles website for basketball, that's that's what he's gonna be on. Cause he he's in love with the game. I don't I have no idea about his love life, but I know he he lives the game of basketball. Um, was I was talking to just joking around with a uh, couple of Nick players because they recently got engaged, and I was like, hey, "Who's next, uh, Tibbs?" And they were both laughing like, "Nah, he's." Married to the game. So, Nick Vance, your coach is dedicated to his craft. He's dedicated to uh, your team. I know Tibbs has been the subject of uh, praise, criticism over his three seasons as a Nick coach, but he's, he's doing a pretty good job these days.
0: I, I tend to agree. I mean, um, for anybody that's ever been on Hinge and Bumble, you know that that love language thing is an option. I thought that was hilarious with Josh Hart. Um, but, yeah, I mean, Ian, I mean, look, Any executive or scout I've spoken to says the same thing about the pairing of Thibodeau and Hart on the Knicks. It's a perfect fit. And Hart's been a Swiss army knife for the Knicks. Uh, A great versatile role player. Any given night, he could score a little bit for you. He'll lock up a guy defensively. He can switch, you know, moves without the ball well. And so for Hart... I mean, looking ahead, he's got almost a thirteen million dollar player option this summer, which he's expected to decline and become a free agent. But fear not, Knicks fans. Hart loves the fit in New York, and the Knicks want to resign him in free agency. Um, I mean, Ian, when you look at Hart, I mean, it's 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 early in in the game here, looking ahead towards free agency and stuff. But to me, I think we could both agree. I mean, he's been a perfect fit for them, and mm-hmm. that. Looking ahead, I, I, I don't see him leaving. I, I see him getting either a three- or four-year deal at some point um, once he becomes eligible, and I think he's staying in the Big Apple. What say you, my friend?
1: I totally agree. I mean, look, I don't think they're making that trade, attaching a future first that's protected and Cam Reddish to bring him here without a, a, a confidence, degree of confidence that he will resign. And then... <laughs> You know, his first press conference, uh, I didn't want to, you know, press the issue, but that was on my mind. So, you know, I asked him, he'd been traded a few times as he referenced himself, which is not a slight on him. You know, are you looking for a more full-time home? Do you see this as a longer-term potential spot?" And he just, he spoke a lot about his connection to the team, the organization, obviously, Leon Rose, Jalen Brunson, Julius Randle. lot of organic connections there. And also, I believe he and his wife, God bless, are starting a young family. So he talked about wanting to have some stability there. He's got his family, uh, I believe, is in the D.C. area, maybe also somewhere else in the East Coast. And he said, it'd be great to be somewhere where you're close to family, given that scenario. And so he also talked a lot about wanting to play at Wingfoot, the uh, famed golf course in Westchester <laughs> County. So it seems like there's a lot of reasons to believe that this thing is going to be a longer term partnership. It's Probably just a matter of uh, getting getting to a number that everybody's happy with, and then you know they figure that out. And he actually also not to go too long here, but he, Josh Hart gave me gave us one of the best quotes, in my opinion, uh, the Knicks recently, where he said he. He's, he was maybe looking at to touch Leon's pockets when he asked when we were asking him about his relationship with Leon Rose and he brought up, you know, potential free agency. So I was laughing when he said that. But yeah, it's, it would be a shock to me if if he didn't end up back here. Something would have to change drastically between now and early July for, for him to end up elsewhere.
0: I agree. I mean, look, we could circle back on the amount it's going to be. I've heard some early estimates, but I think it's too early to put anything out for now. Um, and, you know, I, before uh, the game the other night against the Hornets, I, I was talking with Coach Steve Clifford in the in the pregame presser, and I asked him what he thought of Hart as an opposing coach. And you know that nobody watches as much film as as Clifford and Tibbs and all these guys that came from the Jeff Van Gundy tree. And right. he gave Hart a ringing endorsement. He said, I think he's a winning player. He plays both ends, and he shot the ball well there. Uh, I think he has the ability to, to defend primary scorers, which – Right now, if you want to talk about the playoffs, that's a big deal because teams play five out or four out and one in. Uh, He can guard those guys, make it hard on them, which not a lot of guys can. I think he'd be viewed across the league as a guy who does the little things. He's a great teammate and plays with a purpose and energy every night. There aren't a lot of those guys. So I think with that said, certainly um, we both agree he'll be back. He's been a great rebounding guard for them at that. Um, we touched a little bit though on, on the job that Tom Thibodeau has done. I know you, you touched on it early on about him getting some criticism. Um, you know, Nick's Twitter, um, has certainly given him, uh, some flack, I would say. And, uh, there's been a little bit of crickets lately, except for the other night after the Hornets game, you know, when they were like, oh, at least from what I see from the people I follow on Nick's Twitter you know, a little bit of uh, criticism because they might be too tired. But I mean, Ian, I, when you look at Tibbs and the job he's done this year, I think you could say that the Knicks have performed well relative to expectations nationally. I think they've overperformed a little bit. And when you look at, you know, finalists or people in the mix for coach of the year, I'm not saying Tibbs is going to win, but you know, there's Sacramento's Mike Brown, there's Denver's Michael Malone, there's Milwaukee's Michael Budenholzer. And I think somewhere in there, Tibbs could be, I don't know, top five. And then if, if they continue this run um, and, and Steve Clifford, you know, was talking about Tibbs last night and, and saying about the other night saying, you know, he's been more than a friend. He was a mentor, the guy that took him under his wing. He showed him how to make notes. And the funniest quote that Clifford had was he said, Tibbs told him, whatever you do, don't make it up. I thought that was hilarious coming from Tibbs. Um, But, you know, he gets a lot of flack about playing guys, a lot of minutes, you know, the minutes police and whatnot. I think the only guy that probably gets as much flack for that might be Nick Nurse because he's had a couple of guys up there like Fred Van Vliet and Siakam. But, like, when you look at the job that Tom Thibodeau's done, I guess, like, how would you grade it and looking ahead for him I really don't see him going anywhere anytime soon, despite the uh, up and down reactions from uh, fans.
1: I mean, I would say this, Mike, there were a couple times where I thought change might be coming. One of those times was last year before the all-star break. The Knicks had a bad run. They were getting destroyed. And the the last game before that all-star break last year was Brooklyn coming back i think knicks had a big lead brooklyn came back Cam thomas brought him all the way back and they beat the knicks at the garden and there was a lot of uh consternation at that point about what was going wrong uh there was people internally like pointing the finger at tom thibodeau and it seemed like a change might have happened then but uh, leon rose i think was given the autonomy to make a change then did not stuck by thibodeau um at that point and then also, you look earlier this year, Knicks 10-13, and 13, bad loss to Dallas at home. Uh, there were, I, I believe, I could say confidently, uh, you a know, few bad losses away from some kind of change happening, whether it was Thibodeau or, or something else, a significant change organizationally. And then Thibodeau changed the rotation. Knicks win, I believe, eight in a row. They go to that nine-man rotation, win eight in a row, and they've been a very, very good team since then. So you look at that, the, the context to me, from early December to now, and you give Tom Thibodeau a lot of credit for the Knicks are. I mean, look, when you coach or manage in New York City, you're going to be under the microscope. That's just how it works. So every loss is going to get dissected. Every win, you're going to get praised. But the, the that's just the nature of, of pro sports, I think, in this town. For Thibodeau, I think even the, the biggest Thibodeau critic has to give him credit for this season because of the way everybody has played and the way things have come together from a bottom-line perspective. I mean, Julius Randle, bounce-back season. I don't think many people saw that coming. Jalen Brunson reaching the level that he has. don't think many people saw that coming. Uh, the way that the Mitchell robinson Quentin Grimes duo has impacted the starting lineup. I think that's been, been significant. And, and so on down the line, the Knicks have several success stories here to tell this season. And Tom Thibodeau, in my mind, is in the middle of all of them. So you got to give them credit for where they are right now. Who knows what happens on this coming West Coast trip? Who knows what happens over the final 17 games or so? Anything can happen. But to this point, here we are, uh, early March, Knicks. Just snapped their nine game winning streak, and you get, you got to give Thibodeau ample credit there as far as the letter grade. I'm not good at that stuff. I mean, I got bad, got shoddy grades, I would say, as a certainly as a college student and uh, uh high school, I decent grades. So I, I can't give anybody letter grades, I just know that he's been solid.
0: <laughs> oh man, well, it just goes to show you GPA doesn't always uh matter in the grand scheme of things. You're your character, bro. <laughs> But I mean, one of the things you know that I I feel like that's been noticeable with Thibodeau since the Josh Hart trade is the Knicks have gone with more often than not a closing lineup of Jalen Brunson when he's healthy, Emmanuel quickly, and Josh Hart down the stretch of games. Uh, yep. Occasionally, Quentin Grimes will see some minutes, but noticeably absent has been R.J. Barrett and. You know, during the summer, Barrett was discussed in the Donovan Mitchell trade talks and looking ahead, I expect his name to pop up again in trade talks. If the Knicks are linked to any star player that hits the market, um, and when you look at RJ Barrett in this kind of evolving role down the end of games where he's been on the outside looking in as, as a closer, do you see that kind of continuing going forward and, uh, Curious what you thought of, you know, kind of my stance, at least that if they're out there trying to get a star this summer, you know, whoever it may be that pops up, that we very well uh, could see RJ in those conversations.
1: I mean, look, as far as the closing lineups, Thibodeau has said consistently that it's kind of based on matchups, based on how things are going in that particular game. Uh, and so I think the, the decisions kind of reflect that. And if the Knicks are able to close, With that particular lineup on that particular night, you know, nobody's going to second guess Thibodeau. uh, But if they lose the game, they blow a lead and RJ Barrett's on the bench, Quentin Grimes is on the bench, or whoever's on the bench, Thibodeau's going to get second guessed. But, you know, why didn't he have player X in there? Uh, But with Barrett not being in those closing lineups, I think uh, more often than not, yeah, it's, it, I think it's just a reflection of uh, Excuse me, of Hart playing really well, of quickly playing really well uh, in that given night. And as far as the trade stuff goes, I mean, Michael, you know this as well as I do. Barrett, last offseason, Utah wanted him. There were deals that were discussed between the Knicks and the Jazz that included R.J. Barrett. Uh, So to me, that tells you that some people in the organization were comfortable with moving Barrett in a Donovan Mitchell deal. Ultimately, team president Leon Rose did not pull the trigger on a a trade for Donovan Mitchell, so he was not comfortable with whatever Utah was asking for, uh, R.J. Barrett included or not. But the idea that the Knicks were comfortable discussing packages with Barrett in them, with the Jazz, Uh, you just, to me, signifies they're comfortable doing that in the future if it's a player that they really covet. So I think it just depends on who's available, what that player's potential fit is, what the cost is. I don't think, uh, geez, I don't think any Nick outside of uh, Jalen Brunson would be untouchable in any trade scenario for a star player. So R.J. Barrett included in that group.
0: I mean, I could... Overall agree with that assessment. I think Julius Randle for the Knicks is a guy that is probably more valuable to them than any other uh team at this point. So I I mean I'm I would gonna,
1: have a I agree with you. I would have a I'd hard have time a, seeing them move Julius. I agree. Yeah. I just don't think, you know, when you say untradeable, I think that's another well, you level. Know, but yeah.
0: Yeah. But you know what, Begs, that that phrase also gets thrown around like way too, too casually. Yes. Yeah, yeah, too
1: casually. Because I agree with you.
0: You know, you never know with with such scenarios. But, you know, another guy that kind of popped up in those Donovan Mitchell trade talks in in some form was Emmanuel Quickly. And even earlier in the year, you know, there were rumblings out there about the Knicks being open to moving him for first round picks. Some teams had called at various points. We've all done different reporting on those teams, but obviously nothing materialized because at the time, you know, the Knicks really weren't going to get a first round pick if they were going to sell high and then he started playing well, he started for them and then it didn't make sense to move him. So nothing. I never got the sense. Anything really was close there as far as him finding a new address. But I mean, since then begs like Emmanuel quickly has become a strong candidate for the six man of the year award and arguably the front runner, according to a lot of betting odds out there. If you follow that stuff, especially after the Boston game, you know, other candidates you can keep an eye on are Bobby Portis, uh, former Nick. He's averaging nearly 14 and 10. One of yep. the top double-double guys in the league. And Malcolm Brogdon on the Celtics. He's putting up 15, 4 and 4. You know, 49 overall percent shooting and 46 from 3. Um, yeah. Norman Powell. Yeah, Norman Powell as well. I mean, Maxie. it's ironic. Quick, quickly as a starter has been good too. I think he's averaging like 19, 5 and 5 when he starts. Um so I, am curious to see how it shakes out for him. But I, you know, I was talking to a scout, and and one guy said it to me best. He goes, "IQ has the perfect role there, um, but he could start on a different team. You know, if it was a constructed differently the roster. But I mean, looking ahead, Ian, I think the big elephant in the room here is he's playing so well that you're going to have to have real conversations about an extension for him this summer and what that would look like potentially right. so I, I mean i certainly think and you know we'll touch on this in a little bit but you know you've kind of touched on, on this in the past that emmanuel quickly and Obi top and they're both going to be eligible for extensions and the knicks are going to ha- have to somewhat make a choice when you look at the salary cap and it's a pretty easy decision right now it's Emmanuel quickly But my question to you is, I'll give you two part. One, Mm -hmm. do you think he comes out of this with the six man of the year award? And two, do they get an extension done this summer or does it get um, delayed into a new deal into restricted free agency the following summer?
1: Yeah, so the the sixth man. I mean, I think the answer to that depends on how things go over the next few weeks here. The Knicks continue their strong play. Do they leapfrog Cleveland for the four seed is quickly a big part of it. I think if they if they win games, he's going to be a big part of it. So if that's part of the story closing this season here, I could see him having a strong case, especially if the other candidates we talked about the Brogdons, the Maxis, the Pals, the Portis, Juniors. Um, if they fall off a little bit, yeah, I mean, he's, he, he, he has a strong case at the moment. As far as the extension goes, you know, I think, I guess my read on it, and first of all, I want to say, Mike, because you were mentioning the trade stuff, can you imagine uh, being one of those teams, like now, that said, I don't know if we want to do a first and player X because of whatever, whatever the reason was. Imagine saying that in November, early December, and then now he's playing the way he is. I wonder if teams kick themselves in those scenarios or if they just say, Hey, whatever, we didn't see it coming. It's fine. If I'm, if I was a team, I would kick myself seeing quickly play this way.
0: I'll say Um, this real quick, just on that. Um, You know, I think, I think Rob Hennigan had a job title or does it of director of foresight. I would love to. I I, I would laugh if there's a team that has a director of hindsight 2020 because yeah, defi- <laughs> <laughs> they definitely would be kicking themselves. I mean, there's no doubt about it, but um, and Maxie, I, I just want to say this real quick. I know you brought up Maxie. Yeah. I don't know if he's going to have enough games. Like I'm curious if by the end of the year, he has enough games off the bench to qualify for yeah. the award something yeah. to keep an eye on there but definitely but good, but good point C- carry on you were you were heading towards uh
1: yes the second extension part. extension mm-hmm. so i mean i i think that the Knicks, just my guess right total guess just being around a little bit guess would be Knicks would have to come with something significant to to lock it in and and to like you know and i don't I think they I think they would, and I think they'd be smart to. But I, I do think you're not going to, given how things have gone to this point, I don't think you're going to get some kind of uh, home team discount for extending quickly. You're going to have to come with a strong number to get something done. Uh, I'm not a, you know, I, I wish I had comps in front of me. I'm not, you know, Bobby Marks, uh, Larry Coon, so I don't know, like, I can't give you strong comps off the top of my head, but th- I think the number is going to be have to be significant. There's not going to be a hometown discount in locking up quickly to a long term extension, especially if he continues to play this way, because he's played his way to his credit into a big number. And, you know, God bless him. It's, it's, I, I love when that happens, but I think he, it's not going to be, uh, hey, thank you, Leon Rose, for this offer that's maybe below market. We'll take it and we'll be happy. I think it's going to have to be something significant to get it done.
0: Yeah, no question. I look, I could tell you right now quickly and his reps at Rock Nation are definitely pulling up those player comparisons now on like basketball reference and everything and, and getting ready for those negotiations way down the line. But Ian, like we touched on it a little bit um, and and you had talked about this, you know, earlier on in the season, but Kind of that debate between, all right, you're going to have to probably pick between Obi and Obi Toppin and Emmanuel quickly as far as looking ahead, who you extend, looking ahead at the salary cap. And with that in mind, looking ahead, it's hard to see a fit for Obi Toppin. You know, he's owed $6.8 million next season before he hits the restricted free agency market in the summer of 2024. Toppin, he's stuck behind Julius Randle, who you know is going to play 35 to 37 minutes a night when he's healthy. And Toppin hasn't been able to play alongside Randall as a small ball five. So um, with with Toppin and Emmanuel quickly eligible for extensions before next season, uh, looking ahead to the offseason, to me, he's a potential trade candidate, in my opinion. Um, I'm curious what you think of Obi Toppin's future looking ahead more towards the future at this point.
1: Yeah, I'm going to just preface this with my opinion. My opinion is the Knicks should if they were going wanted to do Obi Toppin a a solid, right? If they want to do right by him, they move him somewhere where he has a clear path to a bigger role because what you said, Mike, Julius Randle's going to play 35-38 minutes a night, and he should. That's what works for this team. Because of that, there's not a pathway for Obi Toppin to get 25 minutes a night, given the roster construction. Now, when the Knicks drafted Obi Toppin, I think the plan was eventually for Toppin to get those minutes, significant minutes. Julius Randle changed those plans by having an All-NBA season, uh, Toppin's rookie year, uh, having an All-Star season this year, helping the Knicks to the playoffs, what looks like two playoff trips in three seasons. So, plans changed. Now, given that, I think you deal Toppin somewhere where he can flourish. And I know that the Knicks, we know that Knicks, I'm sure you do too, Mike, that The Knicks had conversations with a few teams on top and head of the deadline, um, Indiana particularly, where I think the Knicks were seeking draft compensation. Um, I think that there was there was more than cursory conversations around a deal with at least the Pacers, probably more teams, but then no team reached the what New York was seeking at that point. Now the Knicks are under no uh, timeline here to trade Toppin. Mike, you mentioned it, you know, he, it'll be restricted next summer. So there's, there's, they don't have to do anything. But to me, if you're making a trade for an impactful player in the off season, if that's the route the Knicks go, and I think they'll always be looking at that, you know, Toppin is an, as a uh, obvious candidate to put in that deal, um, and if there's a one-off trade to be made, I, I don't I'd be a little bit surprised that the Knicks did that in the offseason. That strikes me more as a an in-season trade deadline move. Um, but one way or the other, uh I I would assume they continue to at least talk to teams about Toppin. But I'll say this too, though, like maybe Obi Toppin. I mean, the Knicks feel it's best for Toppin to be that guy, to be that 10 to 15 minute guy, to give him what he's giving him off the bench, uh, obviously gives them great, uh, very good depth um, at the position. And if they feel like that's the best fit for that role, maybe they say, hey, here's an extension that's commensurate to your role. Do you want it? Or, you know, they let him hit restrictive free agency, but they want him back. I could see that as, as part of this scenario as well. Um, but I, I it, it strikes me that Toppin's not going to get that big role here that maybe he would have gotten if were he drafted by another team.
0: Yeah, I mean I would agree. I think um, with Indiana, what was interesting, they had plenty of guards um, on that roster, and for the Knicks at the time, you know, you kick it around, but it all worked out in the end because I think if they would have gotten one of those guys, then quickly would not have ascended as much as he did, and. You know, quickly's rise has been at the expense of Derrick Rose. And, uh, you know, there was a belief that the Knicks could get some type of compensation for Derrick Rose along the lines of a second round pick. Um, Rose, he's got a $15.6 million team option for next season. Um, so he was essentially an expiring contract, but the Knicks kept him through the trade deadline and playoff eligibility waiver deadline as a veteran mentor, and a backup point guard as insurance in case there's an injury. I don't even think we need to really talk about as much whether they're going to pick up that option or not. I think you could pretty much read between the lines there. Mm-hmm. Um, but, like, Derek Rose's situation, I don't know if I really had a thought on it back and forth, just, you know, coming up on uh, mentioning that, like, Quickly's rise was at, uh Derek's expense but I mean Derek's been a pro as far as I've heard from anybody and um, I still think he's got some juice left uh, to help a, a team down the line um, I mean time will tell on that but I don't know if you had any thoughts on on Rose there before we uh,
1: pivot on to maybe like one more topic or so the thing that I can't make sense of here is like so Derek Rose comes Knicks want to trade for him really want him in 2021. They trade for him. He helps them get to the four seed. He really plays a huge role getting them to the four seed that season, two years ago. um They re signed him, bring him back, three year deal, team option, third year. That's his current contract. Last year plays a, a significant role, then gets hurt, ankle surgery, shuts it down for the year. Um, and then before this season, you know, team president Leon Rose was talking about how. Derek was in great shape. He's going to be you know, such a big part of the team, which, look, I, I take that at face value. I understand any executive is going to speak positively about a player, but given the context of how well Rose played two years ago and then you're bringing him back on a bigger deal, I would have assumed that he would play that big role. So by him not playing, by Thibodeau, especially Tom Thibodeau, who you cannot write the story of Tom Thibodeau's coaching career Without Derrick Rose, Derrick Rose in the first paragraph of any article about, you know, a retrospective on Tom Thibodeau's coaching career in my mind. So for Thibodeau to make a decision to bench Rose is significant. and He knew he had to win games. But are the Knicks telling us that Derrick Rose is done? I don't think he I mean, I'm just guessing. Right. It just wouldn't make sense to me that he's totally done because of what he did just two years ago. Uh, So that's kind of where I am just thinking out loud about Rose. His future, I don't know what he wants to do. I know, I think Milwaukee had some interest uh, at the deadline. Um, it's close to home for him. But, you know, we'll see what, what the future holds here in New York. I know that young guys love, love Derrick Rose. The young Knicks love Derrick Rose as a vet mentor. So that's, uh, that's kind of where things sit with Derrick. And, yeah, if there's a couple point guard injuries, Knicks are going to need him and need him on the floor. Uh, in the playoffs. So I think that probably played into their thinking and and not moving him.
0: Yeah. When it comes to Derek, I mean, look, everybody loves him on the court and certainly one of the greatest what ifs in the NBA, if he never got hurt. But, you know, Ian, last thing I wanted to touch on with you was uh, Evan Fournier. Um, There were rumblings. The Knicks talked to the Raptors about Evan Fournier and, uh, I think it was three first-round picks for OGN and Obi. But talks didn't go far. I was told um, there was did you also hear that
1: too about Toronto and Evan.
0: Yeah. Uh, did you I, write
1: that?
0: Honestly, I don't even remember anymore. Like the trade deadline was such a blur. <laughs> I I needed I, load I, I needed load management at, at the All Star break to catch up. But <laughs> Cause I had I heard
1: yes because I heard something about Toronto and Evan too. I don't think I wrote it, but I remember I, hearing it. So I, I heard no, it got out there or not.
0: I, I can't remember, but I, I remember, I, you know, I look back on my notes and I, I had talked with a few people, but yeah, I mean, I had heard there were rumblings about the Knicks talking uh, to the Raptors about Fournier. And I don't know if the three first round picks, I would assume like there were protections of some kind. Um, but the, but the talks didn't go far. I was told, and there was uncertainty if, Ananobi would want to stay with the Knicks in the summer of 2024 when yep. he's expected to opt out of his deal and become an unrestricted free agent. You know, yep. He's on a good contract now, but some executives around the league I've talked to think he's going to cost too much once he hits the open market. You know, for Fournier, next season, he basically becomes an expiring contract at $18.8 because the yep. 2024-05 season, that's a team option. So. Um, I was curious from your standpoint, were there any other trade deadline talks you heard with Fournier discussed that maybe um you hadn't written about or d- didn't get out there yet? And uh if you think he's with the Knicks to, to start next year, I mean this point you know, his role is what it is this season.
1: Man, specific to Evan. Toronto was in team. And then I think I think this was written, somebody must have written it, but in this De- like early December. Uh, there was was it early December? Yeah, there was. Excuse me, early December, where the Lakers, there was some Laker uh, rumblings, as we might say. Oh yeah,
0: I, I, th- I talked about that. What, you know? What yeah. you're right. You jogged my own memory. Some with Kendrick Nunn in a, uh, involved there, but <clears throat> you know, I I mean, I would say this. Um, Kendrick Nunn, you know, with clutch at the time. I don't think that was something they would have
1: wanted given the Cam Reddish uh, situation. Yeah. Um, yeah. That Cam thing has, is, yeah. Is, uh, it's got, I think it has some, some, maybe some repercussions with like just down the line. But in terms of uh, Fournier specifically, there was also, I mean, obviously go back to the offseason. I think there was a, he was a part of a three teamer um, where, in the Donovan Mitchell talks that didn't obviously come to fruition. But to um, when he's expiring, when he becomes an expiring contract, yeah, it just becomes, uh, I think, an easier deal to make. And obviously, great shooter. Uh, you know what you're getting with him. He's got a proven NBA pedigree despite falling out of this Nick rotation. So, I, you know, I think I would assume there's going to be a significant interest in him whenever the Knicks do entertain talks about him again. For sure,
0: my man. I, listen, I appreciate you taking some time to to join me talk a little Knicks. This was a this was a fun edition of, of a a Bing
1: Bong edition of the Knicks pod, with you, <laughs> my man. Hey, usually with the Knicks, we're talking about uh, ping pong, not Bing Bong. We're talking about the ping pong balls at this point in the year with the lottery. So I'm I'm glad to be able to talk, uh, you know, about a, a positive development for this group, particularly because of the the fans, so passionate fans. Uh, they deserve to see a product that's that's competent and successful. So happy for the long time, Nick fan out there. They get to enjoy this a little bit.
0: I look forward to the side talk NYC playoff edition of uh, the Knicks video. Like just after that first one, when they did uh, when they beat Boston and whatnot, but no doubt, my man, I mean, look, Jalen Brunson's impact has been profound, but My man, I appreciate you joining me. And I also want to thank everyone else for tuning in. If you want to hear more episodes of the Hoops High Podcast with guest appearances from NBA players, coaches, executives, and media members such as Ian Begley, you can like and subscribe to it on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and anywhere else you listen to podcasts. You can keep up with my tweets on Twitter, at Mike Ascato. Make sure you're following my man, Ian Begley, one of the best guys in the business and one of my personal close friends. You can follow him on Twitter, at Ian Begley. Until next time, I'm your host, Michael Scotto, wishing you and yours all the best.